everybody, church, you ready to sing? This is my story. This is my song. Let's stand together as we sing. Praising my Savior all the day long. Blessed assurance, Jesus is Besides just being worthy of our praise, it is due you that we give you praise. We owe that to you, Lord. And so we can never repay you, Lord, but yet we owe that to you. And so, Lord, help us to, to give what is due to you today in praise and adoration and honor 
And uh, Lord, as we study your word, may we walk out of here a little bit more chiseled into the image of Jesus than when we came. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Um, Welcome to First Baptist, and again, we, we would love to have you fill out this uh, connection card. Uh, by the way, a big thank you. Uh, the kitchen staff thanks you. You did an excellent job of telling us who was going to be here Wednesday night. So if, if you've already filled one of those out, that's fine. We're just going to assume you're probably going to be regular with us. If you don't normally attend Wednesday night and you want to attend, uh, be sure and call the church office by noon on Tuesday. And so we can get an accurate count, okay? So please do that for us, and that will help the kitchen staff know uh, who to cook for, okay? Um, all right. Hey, uh, the pastor's going to share with us a little bit about uh, Christ being our peace. And um, there is a reason that we have hope, that we have peace, that we can have joy. I think you know his name, don't you? It's Jesus. There's a reason I can sing There's a reason for this life inside me One name above all names Jesus, yes it's Jesus There's a reason for this hope there's a reason for this peace that I know One worthy of all praise Jesus, yes, is Jesus I will lift my hands up I will raise my voice high I will shout of your time 
is through When my final breath has left these lungs I'll forever be with you And the song goes on and on song says the living hope how great the chasm that lay between us how high the mountain i could not climb in desperation i turned to heaven and spoke your name into the
came the morning that sealed the promise. Your very body began to breathe out of the silence, the roaring light. came the morning. Repeat that. Then came the morning that sealed the promise. Your very body began to breathe out of the silence. The roaring
seated. As I shared earlier, the pastor uh, is going to be sharing with us about Christ being our peace. All right, I got to say this. Um, The second verse of the song we just sang, couldn't make it through it at practice this morning. And my brothers and sisters here prayed for me and we're doing better now. Pray for my family. My mom and dad are in bad health, and we're just facing some things to decide. And so that that verse that uh, Spurgeon famously said, I kiss the waves, thank you, that throw me up against the rock, who is Christ. And uh, yesterday I had a hard time kissing the waves. I think maybe we all do sometimes. So just, just pray for us. But as I talked about, um, Brother Philip will be sharing with us the peace that that Christ brings. And maybe the first time you ever heard peace in the context of Christ was during Christmas. This famous passage from Isaiah. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of peace. And so this is a Christmas song, actually, but it sort of reminds us maybe where we heard Christmas, uh, that the, the Christ and peace were affiliated in the same way, uh, maybe through a Christmas song or maybe through a Christmas message. Let's learn this one together. One star burns in the darkness, shines with the promise, Emmanuel. One child born in the stillness, living within us, Emmanuel. We're singing glory. 
Ephesians chapter 2, let's make our way there, and this will be our scripture reading for the morning. Ephesians chapter 2, we'll begin reading in verse 11.
Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man In the place of two, so making peace. And might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Let's pray. Great God and Father, we contemplate... The phrase by Spurgeon that we need to kiss the wave that strikes us against the rock of ages. Lord, um, our country's in a mess. Lord, our world is in shambles. We need for the Prince of Peace to return. Lord God, help our people in Afghanistan. God, help the parents of those and wives of those children who lost loved ones just this week in military duty. Lord, for our freedom. Lord, we pray for them. Lord, we pray for families. Lord, we pray for no more loss of life there. Lord, but we realize that you said, Lord Jesus, that there would be no peace until you come. We know that there will be rumors of war and wars and difficulties But you said the end is not yet. And we realize that even today as you spoke it some 2,000 years ago. But that end will come. And you will return in power and glory. Father, we also pray that, God, you would burst wide open the doors of the gospel of Jesus Christ into Afghanistan. We pray for Afghan Christians that are already there. And Lord God, may the gospel run And be glorified in Afghanistan. In Jesus name we pray. Amen. Well I would not be out of line at all to suggest to you. That I know your greatest need this morning. It is peace with God. It is peace with God. Now if you're saved you experience the peace of God now but you only have the peace of God in your life because you have peace with God what is the opposite of peace well we see it physically in Afghanistan and around this world but there's also the opposite of peace even in the spiritual realm and it's the same it's called war it is the opposite of peace was this not the case before you were made alive in Christ Chapter 2, 1 through 3. 
and then chapter 2, 11 through 12. This is not readily conveyed to sinners in our world today, is it? We don't think in terms of lost mankind being at war with God and God being at war with mankind, but that is the reality. We used to use the old adage that God hates the sin but loves the sinner. Wait a minute. It's not the sin, it's the sinner that will be condemned to hell. Remember that, folks. God, you, if you're lost, you are at enmity with God as that sinner, as that person. There's hostility between God and man. And mankind, left to himself, will not even call for a truce. You don't have the ability within to do that. You don't. We don't... No man seeks after God. No one. So war, think about this. Our former state was one of hostility and enmity with God. We were at war with God and he was at war with us. Again, it's not readily communicated. But there's no such thing as neutrality. There's no such thing as calling a truce between God and man. It was war. And the entire passage centers upon this declaration. Don't you love it? Verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near. And how? Say it. By the blood. Don't be afraid to say it. Right? By the blood of Jesus Christ. The alienation is over. The hostility is over. The enmity is over. All because of that prepositional phrase, in Christ. Because of that formula, in Christ. You understand, folks, that Christ came into this world to establish peace on our behalf with God. That's why he came into this world. I'm sure you've heard the distinction. You've heard me distinguish it already between the two ways that the Bible presents peace. One we might call the subjective peace of God. And this peace fills your heart and life if you're saved. Uh, I love the way the scripture, since we're around those particular principles of scripture, let me show you. Uh, Philippians 4, 7, here's one example. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds to the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you see the emphasis? The peace of God. And then in Colossians 3, 15, in the same neighborhood, you can flip over a couple pages. Verse 15, listen to this. And let the peace of Christ, that terminology means it, it functions as an umpire in your life. Let it rule. There it is, umpire. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you have been called to one body. Notice, that's one way we speak of peace. And that's in the subjective sense of you having the peace of God in your life. But that's not what this text is referring to. This passage is referring to the peace that you now have with God, which changes your standing before God from a place of enmity and war to a place of no more war and friendship with God. Hallelujah for this truth. You cannot know the peace of God subjectively until you have peace with God in your standing with him. C.S. Lewis once said, God cannot give us a happiness and a peace apart from himself because it's not there. There's no such thing. So this morning, 
I can tell you with full confidence, I know your greatest need. If you don't know the Lord, your greatest need is peace with God. And you can't have that peace apart from Christ alone. Verse 14, he is our peace. That doesn't mean he merely offers peace. It means he is the embodiment of peace. He himself is peace for us. Please hear this. Jesus Christ has made peace for us with God the Father. He doesn't merely offer it. He is our peace. And he did so through his death on the cross. And you and I can never receive a greater gift than peace with God. This morning, this week, as I studied this daily to prepare, I thought, Lord, would you grant a lost sinner this Sunday morning peace with God? Would you grant that? Here's the good news of the gospel. Don't you love this? But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So, chapter 2, 11 through 12, it illustrates the unbeliever's horrible plight before God. We won't take time to read it. And how was our new status of being brought near accomplished? It was made possible through the cross of Christ. And there's this conjunction in verse 14. For he himself is our peace. So what is that doing? It's building upon verse 13. Here, uh, here is the ground for the statement in verse 13. You've been brought near by the blood of Christ. And how is, what's the ground of that, Pete, of that reconciliation? It is Christ and Christ alone who gives us peace. In other words, it is Christ and his peace given to you that brings you near to God. There's no way possible to have it apart from Christ. So it points to our new state of peace with God. There's only one mediator between God and man, Christ Jesus, the Lord. He's the only source of peace between God and man. Jesus is the only one who could placate the wrath of God that was against us. So folks, hear this. Gospel reconciliation is God reconciling us to himself on his terms. That's what reconciliation is. When we think of marriage reconciliation, when one or the other spouse is estranged, we, we do. I've done this a lot, right? Reconciliation. We talk to them. We try to get them to see. But that's man with man. But God is holy, and we're not. How can we reconcile with him? And the only way that's possible is through the God-man, the Lord Jesus Christ. So gospel reconciliation is God reconciling himself to us in his terms. We've been brought near to a vital relationship with God. And hear this, folks. The war is over. This is not self-improvement. Don't you get tired of that? Self-improvement. That's not what this is. It never will be. If you think the basis of your relationship with God is the fact that you cleaned up yourself and you're part of the act, then you're wrong. There's only one basis for relationship with God, and it's the blood of Jesus Christ shed upon Calvary's cross. This is the reconciling work of God to bring his people back to him. Reconciliation. This is why Moses sprinkled blood on everything, right? Notice the emphasis upon blood. Brought near by the blood of Christ. Covenants were also always ratified how? By blood. The blood was the symbol of life. Christ's blood being shed was a real substitutionary sacrifice whereby the worshiper now has a covenant relationship with God. Hallelujah for the truth of the word. The blood of the sacrifice turns away 
the wrath of God. His blood, His sacrifice atones for our sins. The blood of Christ's sacrifice gives access to God. In other words, the word reconcile means a change has taken place. You've gone from a status from being at enmity with God and hostility and at war. And a change has taken place by God's own act of reconciliation through His Son and through His sacrifice to give you a new standing. You once were far off, but now you've been brought near. Folks, do you understand how awesome it is for you to be ushered into a position of acceptance with God that can never change? Hallelujah. You've been ushered into acceptance all because of Jesus. Now, here's what I want you to do this morning. I want you to rejoice that Christ is your peace. Rejoice that He is your peace. That's the emphasis of the text. The central message is verse 13 and 14 throughout that whole section, which is section 4 in the book of Ephesians. This is the most important thing. So let's build upon that by me giving you some implications in the text of what this peace looks like. What are the implications of the fact that we have peace with God? First, understand this before I hit those. Christ alone is our peace. (sighs) You ever get frustrated with false doctrine? With a false gospel, I want to remind you that it's not Christ plus religion. It's not Christ plus rules. It's not Christ plus rituals. It's not Christ plus rights. It's not Christ plus regulations. It is Christ and Christ alone that gives you peace with God. This was described in the Old Testament. David gave you Isaiah 9, 6, wonderful counselor, mighty God. Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. How about Micah 5, 5? And he shall be their peace. Listen to Zechariah's prophecy concerning Christ in, in Luke's gospel. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. Luke chapter 1, 78 through 79 Again, you know this one, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. That's a paradox, isn't it? How can we say there's peace on earth when there is no peace? Well, it's upon those to whom his favor rests that actually have the peace of God. And hear the words of Christ the Lord himself. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives it to you do I give it to you John 14 27 well folks what are the implications of peace well folks he's restored shalom y'all know what that is do you remember the Old Testament understanding he laid down his life to make peace between God and man so to be in Christ is to have the perfect personification and embodiment of the fullness of the peace of God in you. It is to delight in God. It is wholeness. It is fulfillment. It is to experience that peace that Christ gives us, which ushers us into the very presence of God. There's no greater peace than to be in the presence of God. That's what that means. Moses heard it this way. And you've heard this often at funerals. But... This is not possible apart from Christ. But listen, 
The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, Thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you shalom. And give you the full personification of wholeness and wellness. And that's impossible without the presence of God. And there's no access to that presence of God without Jesus Christ. Hope you understand how vitally important that is. So, what's so amazing is that we enjoy the very presence of God. Not just are we ushered into it, but we ought to enjoy the presence of God. American Christians, do you enjoy the presence of God? We're going we're gonna to hit that when we're done here in a few moments about access. But do you enjoy it? But that's not it. It actually, that's not all it accomplishes. There's actually this peace that overflows and expands horizontally with one another. And this is exactly where Paul is going to go with this expression. So for the church here, the body of Christ that meets at FBCO, you understand that the peace that you have with Christ and the Lord God, or or peace with the Father through the Son, the peace that you enjoy we ought to also enjoy horizontally as a church body. Where there is divisions, something's wrong. Something's wrong with your heart. Something's wrong with your spirit. How can you ever look at the cross of Christ where God reconciled you to himself and look at another brother and sister in contempt or not reconcile with them? You are a hypocrite if that is the case. And all God's people said, right? You said it. We got it on tape. But that's the truth. That's how important the blood of Christ is on the cross that reconciled you to him and gave you peace and changed you from one person to another. And you're a one man, new person. But it's not, it doesn't stop there. It goes out through the body horizontally because we're a church of the living God. We're part of his body. Okay? So let's unpack this piece. Here it is. First, Christ has made us one. In the actual literal interpretation, he made the both one. That's, that's what it means. Who are we talking about? Jew and Gentile. Folks, I hope you're smart enough to know that what's going on in Afghanistan is not just a physical war. I hope you realize this. This thing goes way, 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 way back. Right? I hope you understand that. And so because Jesus himself is our peace, he's taken both Jew and Gentile and he's made them one. Andrew Lincoln, in his excellent commentary on Ephesians, said, In accomplishing this, Christ has transcended one of the fundamental divisions of the first century world. Do you understand? Now, I know we can't go back and and transport ourselves back and see the hostility. But, folks, this was racially, socially, and culturally, and religiously. They were bitter enemies in the first century. But now, because of Christ... They're one. Again, we can't transport ourselves back to the first century, but if you could, you would find that the enmity and hostility was far worse than anything in the deep south in the 50s and 60s. And that's hard for us to imagine. But folks, it was real. It was a reality. The racial racial division and hatred, hatred ran deep. And the unity between the Jew and Gentile was performed God's way, not by CRT. There's only one way for a racial division to be removed, and that's Jesus Christ and his peace and his blood. Amen? That's the only way. It it can't happen by a man-made functionary way. It only happens 
by the gospel. Christ destroys the dividing wall of partition. That's the literal rendering. It's awkward. I get it. It is. Look what it says. In his flesh, notice circumcision was by flesh that couldn't save you. But when Jesus became flesh, it saves you. Right? So, in his flesh, which is really an idiom simply for by his death on the cross. Right? His flesh, the dividing wall of hostility. And what it really reads is a dividing wall. It's it's awkward. Why? Because a dividing wall is a partition. A partition is a dividing wall. But Paul is not giving to redundancy. So he wants you to understand the magnitude of how awesome it is for God to take two different races or two different groups of people, really only one race, divided, right? And bring them back together. That's the power of the gospel. He has removed this partition. So this very language of partition and division. Now, I've got to give you some history. Can y'all handle it? Some of you say, no, I don't want to hear it. It's over my head. Get your head up. <laughs> some of you in here just yearn to be taught by the Word of God, and that's why you're coming. But some of you just consistently think, oh, it's over my head. Pick your head up. Amen? Get your head up and listen. History is important because you've got the Word of God in front of you. And there's a reason things are said. And you've got to find out historical. That was a soapbox. Y'all okay with that? Yeah. Here it is. Dividing wall. The very signage that was placed in the temple is, illustrates this, this issue of a dividing partition. Why would Paul say such a thing? There's, do you know historically why this was the case? When, and obviously, one of them's found in the text, circumcision. There are other ones, dietary laws, ceremonial laws, feast, the temple. It just goes on and on. That was, we might even say in shorthand, it was the old covenant. But remember who instituted that covenant. God did. God actually gave the distinctions that ended up with the dividing wall actually being there to begin with. And there's a reason for that, of course. But Josephus told us, or tells us, that there was a granite slab or slabs that had warning signs in them as Gentiles entered into the temple. Incidentally, in 1871, one of those was discovered. And Josephus was right. And here's what it said. No man of another race is to enter within the fence and enclosure around this temple. Whoever is caught will have only himself to thank for the death that follows. Now, I don't think that the rabbis were very seeker sensitive, do you? Man, that's bad church growth politics to tell everybody if you come inside of this building, you're going to die. Y'all know I'm just joking, right? They're not, certainly not seeker sensitive, maybe seeker hostility, but not seeker sensitivity, seeker sensitivity. So only those Jews that were Jews by blood were allowed to go past, listen, those no trespassing signs. Even if you did not know that history I just gave you. How many of you read the book of Acts? Don't lie to me. Have you read the book of Acts? I hope you did, at least when I preached for two years in the book of Acts. Do you think that the Jews took this seriously? What happens in Acts 21? Paul takes some Greeks into the temple, and what happens to Paul? He's beaten And as he is beaten, he's actually rescued from that beating. 
And then from chapters 21 all the way to 28, the entire last section focuses on the controversy and ramifications of Paul taking Gentiles into the temple. Those granite no trespassing signs is just an illustration of something that was bigger. What Paul has in mind is all those regulations of the law that made a distinction between the Jew and the Gentile. For instance, circumcision. That's obvious from chapter 2, verse 11, right? You're called those who are of the are the uncircumcised. That, folks, was a partition. That was a dividing line. So to be uncircumcised to a Jew looking at a Gentile was that you were unclean, you were filthy, and you were unregenerate. And the only way you could be regenerate is to have circumcision, a physical act. This is the way they saw it. What about all the dietary laws? You do know that a Jew would not even eat with a Gentile. When the Jews went to the Agora, To buy their food, they'd go home and wash themselves from head to toe to make sure that there was no way they possibly picked up any contaminants from Gentiles. You see how serious this was. They must have lived during the COVID days. Now, that was just a joke, right? Because we know what that's like right now, don't we? Okay? So in a sense, all taken together, that was one big dividing wall of partition. And again, keep in mind that where did this partition wall come from? God. This is what the Lord God said to Moses. Why? Because you are to be a nation unto God that is different. And here are the things you're going to do, i.e. Levitical laws, i.e. ceremonial laws, all these things to show the distinction. But that's not the only reason. The big reason was that Christ the Lord, our Messiah, would come through that particular lineage. So God was working He was working. The Messiah, God would use this people to be the vehicle of the Messiah coming into this world. So it served all the shadows, all the types, and a a salvation which was to come through Christ. So, he will now explain this even further. It's called the hostility in this text. Do you see it? Flesh dividing wall of hostility. It was a wall of enmity. There was contempt that was developed. Because of this dividing wall. The Jews looked down on the Gentiles and called them the Goim. Because they were Gentile dogs in their opinion. They were unclean. They were unacceptable. And the Gentiles looked at the Pharisees and the Jews as arrogant, proud, and aloof. But the racial, cultural, and religious streams were so deep and wide. Paul will explain this further. The law of commandments expressed in ordinances. This were, these were regulations that were purposefully given for distinction. We could say that it was nothing short of the old covenant. Here is what he desires to convey to them. Christ abolished all of that in his flesh. Hallelujah. In other words, it's another way of saying that he did it in his flesh through his death on the cross. Here's what Colossians 1:21 says. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. Jesus Christ has broken down that center dividing wall of partition. And how did he break it down and abolish it? He did it through his death. He did it through his sacrificial death. That word abolish means render inoperative. It does not mean he abolished the whole law. Be careful. In Matthew 5, 17, Jesus said, I did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. Can I give you an illustration of that? He's not telling you he's come to make the moral law inoperative. 
He's talking about all the regulations of ceremonial laws and, and the like. Why? Can we say this? Do you think in that day that Gentiles believed that adultery was wrong? You better believe they did. Genesis chapter 22. Even Gentiles believed that adultery was wrong. So this is not abolishing the, abolishing the moral law of God. This is not referencing the moral law surrounding the Ten Commandments. Paul is talking about the command and ordinances that made a difference and distinction between Jew and Gentile. Christ's death abolishes the distinguishing regulations. 1 Corinthians, you don't have to turn there, I'm preaching fast. Listen to what the Word says. 1 Corinthians 7 verse 19 makes it unequivocally clear. Chapter 7 verse 19, For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. So there's a reminder in 1 Corinthians. He abolishes because he fulfills those things. He laid down his life to fulfill the very things that actually made the distinction. Just stop and consider, folks, the temple and the sacrifices and the priesthood. That was probably the biggest line of demarcation outside of circumcision that existed between a Jew and a Gentile. Was that whole system of offerings, blood, a temple, a priesthood... A large curtain, right? In separation. Think of this. This is what they lived in day in, day out. The Lord Jesus comes. And he is the great high priest. Who offers himself with that ultimate sacrifice. Which nothing was nothing less than his own body and blood. And through his life and death and burial and resurrection. Jesus Christ has fulfilled all the shadows. And all the types. And all the ceremonial system. Jesus through his death, fulfills all of the old covenant so that now, which earlier had made a distinction, has now been fulfilled and is taken down. Let the wall come down. Amen? That's what actually took place. Do you remember what happened in the temple when Jesus died? Matthew tells us that that veil that separated the Holy of Holies from the outer place, outer court, was rent. How? From top to bottom. What does that mean? It means it's, there's free access to God for all who would come through Christ. No longer is there a barrier between God and man. All may come to God through Christ and Christ alone. So look at this purpose clause. In order that he might create himself one new man in the place of two. Christ has created one new man. And folks, I've got to let you know what that is. That's called the church. All people who are in Christ Jesus that are accepted before the Father are part of the church of the living God. That's who we are. We're the church. This is part of God's plan. Look back at chapter 1, verse 9 and 10. Making known to us the, the mystery of His will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Christ, things in heaven and things on earth. You're seeing that plan emerge. Check out verse 16. And might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, therefore killing the hostility. John Stott says it this way. God turned away his own wrath, and we seeing his great love turned our wrath away from others. So a... It happens. Jesus' death ends the hostility. How are we to live in light of this? You know, we need to make application, right? Pastors make uh, a lot of 
issues today over application. The only problem with many preachers preach application that they haven't preached the Bible. The Bible is the application. The Word of God is relevant. The Word of God is the application. How are you to live in light of that statement? Christ has made us one. How about chapter 4 through chapter 6? We're going to talk about how we're supposed to live as one. Just wait till we get there. Forgiving others as you have been forgiven in Christ. Wow. That's how we put this together. How do we deal with disunity? How do we deal with hostility in the church? We point people to the cross where God ended your hostility. Where he reconciled you to himself through his body of death on the cross. How can we ever look at one another with hostility when God tore down that wall of partition and saved your soul? Rotten as it was. Think of this. So Christ has made us one. Moving on. Christ preached peace. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off. And peace to those who were near. Who are the ones far off? Unless you're a Jew by birth today, then uh, you were far off. Who were the ones near? Those are the ones who were given all the covenants to begin with. Who were given all the promises, right? So Christ came and preached peace. Now I want to ask you a question. When did he do that? When did Christ come and preach peace to the Gentiles? So there are about four interpretations of what this can actually mean. Christ preached peace. He came and preached peace. Was it during his earthly ministry? Well, that'd be kind of hard to find because there's not a lot of evidence in there. We have some, implicitly implied, of Christ preaching to the Gentiles. But even Paul said that the gospel is given to who first? The Jew and then to the Greek. So it's, it's, that's not likely. What, what about in his death on the cross? Did he preach peace? Well, in a lot of ways, yes. But the word euangelion means to announce something. It says preached. So if you're saying it's just on the cross, what about the vocal aspect of it? Seems to miss that particular understanding. What about his proclamation to his disciples for 40 days after his resurrection? Well, that even still doesn't quite fit preaching peace to the Gentiles. Or could it be his spirit through his apostles? Well, if you move down to chapter 3, we've got some evidence. Verse 5. Which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister. So I think the likely, although Jesus certainly preached peace before the cross, on the cross and at his resurrection, I think what this is talking about is the issue that his apostles, who have peace with God, now preach Peace to others through Christ. Folks, I've just told you what evangelism is. How can we, who have peace with God, not want to tell others how to have peace with God? How is that even possible? Furthermore, Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to get there one year. Right? Verse 15. And as shoes for your feet having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. That's part of your armor, the gospel of peace. I've, I've had a deep conviction lately about our church. 
And that conviction is we don't share Christ enough. You know it, and I know it. We ought to be intentional. We ought to be purposeful. We ought to be praying for our obedience to sync with the sovereignty of God. Thus, like the Ethiopian eunuch when he was riding on the chariot, and Philip sees him, and he runs up, and he begins to talk to him. He finds out he's reading the scroll of Isaiah, which is every preacher's wonderful dream, that somebody would be reading the word of God and say, how can I be saved? And what did he do? He opened his mouth, and he preached the gospel. Out of Isaiah's scroll, he preached Jesus. Listen, folks, we need to be sharing the gospel of peace. Folks, don't y'all understand that nothing is going to change in this world unless it's Jesus Christ who does it. And he does it through peace. He does it through saving souls. And we need to be sharing the gospel. That's why our church, the last five years, and not, I'm not saying it wasn't that way before, but I'm just saying that's the heart. Of, of preaching the word and living the gospel is that we have a commission and a command. And I'm, I know full well where Paul got this. Isaiah 52, 7. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace. We, we don't need to be closed mouth. You say, well, we can do it through lifestyle evangelism. They'll see that we go to church. Folks, I know Jesus Christ lived by lifestyle evangelism. He was the Savior. But Jesus opened his mouth and told them that he was the king. Right? Folks, please hear me. We have the gospel of peace that brings salvation to sinners. And it's through the preaching of the word. And it's not just Bible-thumping preachers who stand in the pulpit. It's you and me that have our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Are y'all getting this? One sister back there. By the way, Miss Joy Holden died this week. For the first year I was your pastor, that was the only woman that would say amen. I loved her. You, you folks looked at me like a calf looking at a new gate, and some of you still do. But the reality is, Miss Joy Holden was sitting right back there, uh, just right around where Mr. Dale is. Amen! I mean, boy, that voice. going to miss her. She's saying amen today, ladies and gentlemen, in the presence of the Lord. Maybe it was because she was a preacher's wife. And she got used to, maybe the preacher was like me and he didn't have anybody to say amen. And he said, look, when I hit the button, you say amen just so we at least get one or two, right? Maybe. So we have this message of peace through Christ alone to carry to the world that seeking peace. Think about this. It reaches those who are far away. Across the world in Afghanistan, we can pray here and the Spirit of God can move there. Right? How about those who are near? God can save anybody. God can do this through the gospel. So the worldwide, the whole wide world needs to hear the gospel. And this is nothing less than the Great Commission. All right, final one. Christ has given us access to God. Bad news for y'all, I don't have my watch on. So I have no idea what time it is, but this is the last point, so y'all can handle it, right? There's another conjunction, verse 18, for through him we both, that means all people who are saved, have access to God, right? Look at this. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. This is called a casual clause, which provides the reason why peace can be preached to Jews and Gentiles. Because we have access to God. We preach to people. 
The imagery given here in the word access is most likely dependent on the Old Testament concept of bringing an offering into the presence of the Lord. Wow! These offerings enable God's people to come before Him into His presence as children. That was the purpose. The context affirms in this passage, folks, that that offering has already been made. It is the blood of Jesus Christ. Chapter 2, verse 13, which makes us acceptable to God. Listen to one of my favorite texts in the entire Word of God. It's found in 1 Peter, chapter 1, verse 18. Listen. Knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your fathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Hallelujah. And then, in case you didn't get that one, chapter 10 of the book of Hebrews. Would y'all please put your eyes on this one? Please, regarding access. Chapter 10, verse 11 of the book of Hebrews. Paul, the writer of Hebrews, is going to refer to the old covenant system. Listen. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. Are you ready? But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made his footstool for his feet. Verse 14, hallelujah. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit gives witness of this, which of course is in this text. Do you all see how pointedly Trinitarian this is? How do you get there? You go to the Father, through the Son, in the Spirit. It's Trinitarian. This is how prayer works. Yet the emphasis here in this text is not on prayer specifically, but on the Jew and Gentile having access to God as one, in one Spirit. That's how Paul describes it in 1 Corinthians 12, 13. For in one Spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews are Greek, slaves are free, and we're all made to drink of one Spirit. Ladies and gentlemen... If you are in Christ today and have been made a new creation, you are part of the one Spirit with open access to the Father. You have access to God in the Spirit. It's not mediated through an earthly priest. It's not mediated through a Catholic priest. It is mediated through one priest. For all time, God has perfected you so that you can go into access to Him at any time. Amen? Do you know what that means? It means any place is acceptable. Whew, I'm about to preach myself happy. Think about this. Any place you're in this world, you can be in your car and immediately access to God. Immediately. Think about this. You can approach God in your car, in your shower, anywhere. Why? You do so in the Spirit of God. Any place is now a sacred place. Our approach and access to God is in the Spirit, whether it's by your bedside or whether it's in the shower. All you need is Jesus Christ as your great high priest. Amen? If not an earthly priest, they can't perform this no matter how many times they try. 
It's only through our great high priest. His blood has already made you clean. And there is no physical limitations. You have full access to God in his spirit. And this is exactly what Jesus meant in John 4, right? Y'all remember that? Woman at the well, when he says this, But the hour is coming and now is here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. You do so in the spirit. We certainly don't have to go to Jerusalem. And we certainly don't have to go to Mecca. Y'all know your false religions out there, right? You can stay right here in Ozark, Missouri and have access to God and the Spirit to the Father. Did you understand that the goal of our salvation, more specifically, the goal of reconciliation, is to bring us into the presence of God both now and forever, individually and corporately as a body. That's the goal. If you are not in Christ, I beg of you to be reconciled to God today. It's the only way. Jesus said it. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And no man can come to the Father except through me. You can come to God, but you can't come on your own terms, but his terms. And some of you would say, that's narrow. Jesus said it. Jesus said it. Okay? Yes, it's narrow. His terms are simply this. Come by way of faith and repentance in the Lord Jesus Christ who offered himself up. Upon the cross, shed his blood on behalf of sinners. Please hear this. There is no other way. The good news, ladies and gentlemen, this morning, is that there is at least a way. Folks, I'm telling you, God could have cut every one of us off, and he would have been perfectly just and right to do so. We don't need to marvel that there are not many ways. You need to marvel that God made a way at all. Praise God for the gospel. Because... Jesus said it. It's narrow. It settles it. Period. There's one way and only one way. And please marvel at the fact, thanks be to God, that he made a way through Jesus Christ. Come to God through his terms. If you're lost today, you'll find peace with God in only one way, and that's through Christ Jesus the Lord. That's it. The maker of heaven and earth. The very one who offers peace. Christian, now I'm talking to you. You ready? Do you enjoy your access to God? I dare say, I guarantee you that many of us drift through weeks and months and never think about access to God. And you know you're guilty. We drift along for days and days and days and don't even think about this. Do you take full advantage of the access that you have to Almighty God through Christ? Do you take advantage of it? Do you approach the throne of grace boldly and frequently? Do you enter into the presence of God with a sense of reverence and awe? Folks, I hope you've learned me enough to know this is why our worship services are not dog and pony shows. And they're not going to be. They're not happy, clappy, giddy, lighthearted entertainment. I can go watch a concert if I want to see that. I can go to Branson if I want to see that. Why do we have worship services like we have them? Because the God to which we have to deal with and do with is high and holy. And he's the God of heaven and earth. And the Bible says he will not be treated lightly. So we dare not order our services for entertainment when we're approaching the God of heaven and earth. We do so with reverence. We must approach him that way. This is true in our private devotions. And it's also true in our body together as a church. 
Here's another question. Do you revel in approaching God with a clean conscience? If you're saved today, that sonship position can never change. It's forever. But how are you in your fellowship with God? How's your conscience before him? Folks, if you're saved, the Holy Spirit of God will hound your life to get you right with the Father. He will. He'll put that hot poker of his finger right on every sin in your life that's outside of the Lordship of Christ, and he'll start burning you. Here's the issue. Are you welcoming that consuming fire into your life? God, burn it away. Chisel it away. Walk in the Spirit, and you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. When you, when you go before him in access, do you do so with a conscience that's just ready to be in the presence of God? I mean, how, how do we feel corporately as a church when it comes to our access corporately? Because I, last time I checked, you won't go to heaven by yourself. There's going to be a body that goes there too. All of us who know Christ. So, are you ever overwhelmed that you are talking to the infinite God of the universe? When you pray. Do you know how powerful he is? Do you know what the scripture says about the God you're approaching? Or do you just come in on Sunday morning. Oh preacher. Just give me some more stuff for the week. Just give me one hour of Bible fact. So I can make it through the week. Folks that's not devotion to the Lord. It is. But it's not enough. What are you doing during the week? Aren't you thankful that the God of eternity is not angry with you? That he welcomes you. When's the last time you thought to him as you make access? You have forgiven me of all my sins. Because if he didn't, you couldn't be there. Access. Big subject, isn't it? I already can't see. And then now you start crying, right? Do you ever approach and think about the glory that you have? In him, approaching him. Knowing with full confidence that you're clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. Folks, when's the last time you thought about this? You can't go before him on your righteousness. It's only the righteousness of Jesus that gives you the right to come into the presence of the Father. It's not your obedience that saves you. It's Christ's obedience on your behalf that you trust in in order to save you. Had he not obeyed the law perfectly, there would be no salvation. But he did. And when the father looks at you, he sees the righteousness and the obedience of his son. And therefore, he sees you with a righteous standing. And he sees you as having obeyed all the law completely, perfectly. All because of Jesus. Do you utilize the access in a conscious Trinitarian fashion? Father, I'm coming to you. Because of the Son. Start your prayer off saying, Dear Father, folks, there's a reason for that. Don't forget that the access, you can't approach Him apart from Christ. So we pray to the Father, through the Son, in the Spirit. Every time you pray, do y'all pray? This means yes, this means no. Wake up out there. Hopefully you pray to the Lord. What a lofty truth access to God is. Check this out. Red and yellow, black and white, Arabs, Americans, Asians, we all have access one way and one way only, and that's through Christ. Right. Never look at color. 
Look at the soul that needs to have peace with God through Christ Jesus the Lord. That's the way we should look. Now look, has anybody been frazzled like me? Folks, do you realize how important access to God is in the midst of what we're going through in our country? Don't you think that the Christian brothers and sisters that are in Afghanistan at this moment know what it means to have access to God? Some of you ladies, you get frazzled taking care of them babies at home. Some of you men on the work site, look, I've been down that road. I get frazzled every time I see one of our church members' body laid in the ground. Well, I'm extremely jealous and envious for them because they're in the presence of Christ, which I long to be. But man, people suffer. Families suffer losing a loved one. I know what it's like to lose a dad to cancer. I know what it's like to suffer that particular aspect of it. But here's the deal. I can enter into the presence of my God anywhere, anytime. Open access to him. It was said of Susanna Wesley that she would pull her apron up over her head. (laughs) I love this. And when the children saw this, they knew that their mom was in the tabernacle of the Lord. And they dare not interfere. Some of you ladies, you just need to pull your apron over your head. You need to to access with God automatically. Even with a mask on your face. Right? We have access to God. Here's the deal. Church family, if you're lost today, be reconciled to God. There's only one way to have peace with God and that's through Christ. And then you'll know a peace that surpasses all understanding. And if you're saved, folks, please, let's take advantage of the access we have. Amen. Let's pray. God, you're so good to us. Lord, Father, the plan of salvation is otherworldly. There's no other way that we could ever imagine a God that created this world that would be willing to become flesh. You created all things that exist on the face of this earth. You put the stars in the heavens, set the sun and the moon and the earth to orbit. And yet... You would love your people enough to condescend from heaven and put on flesh in order to die that we might have peace with God. What a gospel. What a God. Thank you, Father, for that. If there's someone who's lost today, may they have peace with you. May they be reconciled to God. And Christians, God help us. Lift us out of our lackadaisical, presumptuous attitudes. Lord, let it start with me. All the way to death, when these bodies give up, God help us to live in access with you, peace with you, communing with our Father, with enjoyment, because we're your children and we're in your presence. Help us, Lord God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand to our feet. What is our hope in life and death? Christ alone, Christ alone. What is our only confidence? That our souls to Him belong. Who holds our days within His hands? What comes apart from His command? And what will keep us to the end? The love of Christ in which we stand. Oh, sing hallelujah.
One more verse. What truth can calm the troubled soul? God is good, God is good. And where is grace and mercy known? In our great Redeemer's blood, who holds our fears when fears arise, who stands above the stormy trial, who sends the waves that bring us nigh unto the shore, the rock of Christ. Oh, sing hallelujah, our hope springs eternal. Oh, sing to hope in life and death. Well, amen. Praise the Lord. It's okay to pick, put your hand up and praise God every now and then, right? Amen. Don't worry about what your neighbor's doing. It doesn't matter, right? If you want to clap, clap. If you want to say amen, please say amen, right? Amen. All right. To God be the glory. Tonight, we are going to go through uh, the smallest amount of information for you regarding finances, building, where we are with the renovation, a couple other things we're going to bring out tonight. And uh, my wife about to walk the aisle? Oh, she's going the other way. All right. <laughs> I thought she might get saved this morning. Amen. All right. So, uh, she didn't even turn oh, yeah, here she's coming. All right. So, tonight, quarterly meeting, but we're also, most importantly, the other stuff's important, but we're going to partake of the Lord's Supper together as a church family. All right. Amen. So that's tonight. I hope you'll come back. Uh, we'll do our best to go from 6 to 7, and you'll be out by then. So um, most of you may wonder why we're going to 6, because sometimes ladies like to have Bible studies on Sunday afternoon and other things, so we thought it would be really fair and good to them. They could start at 5 and be done by 6. So two Sunday nights a month until Christmas. Usually it's going to be 1st and 3rd. won't be this coming September because of Memorial Day. But all the way up to Christmas, and hopefully after Christmas, we'll go back to four Sunday nights a month, okay? So just watch the schedule, and uh, we promise we'll try to get that info out as much as we can. All right? God bless you. Let's sing this as we go. We're singing glory, glory, let there be peace, let there be peace. We're singing glory, glory. Let it start in me. 